welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are looking at the theme of loss in Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. We have a quote to start off with, and it comes from the second season, the episode The Swamp. And this is when they are talking to Hugh, the kind of leader swap bender. And Hugh says, In the swamp, we see visions of people we've lost, people we loved, folks we think are gone. But the swamp tells us that they're not. We're still connected to them. Time is an illusion, and so is death. You didn't bring the Hugh accent out, but that's okay. Do you want me to do it again? No. No, I, I don't <laughs> want that. But yeah, I think this is a, an, an interesting quote, in part because it talks about a really nice view of death and grief and loss. But I also appreciate it, particularly within the world of Avatar, mm-hmm. where there is at least one person who is reincarnated. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of loss is in some ways not concrete. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even if the avatars don't remember, like Aang might not remember all of Kiyoshi's friends or something like that, I think Rava does. Mm-hmm. And so there are like even more people connected through the avatar than just the avatar that's reincarnated. Absolutely. Which you can see, I think, from many of the characters who interact with Korra, the way they're able to continue those relationships. You know, the swamp much later, we have Toph (laughs) calling Korra Twinkletoes. Yeah. And I don't think that's something that Toph would just do unless she really believed that there was a continuance. A small part of Aang there. Exactly. Totally. And she was the one who, after that episode, was like, do you think that friendships can really last more than a lifetime? Aww. <laughs> yeah, but the swamp is a really interesting metaphor itself because mm-hmm. it's all one organism, but it's still all of these things living alongside one another and existing with one another and relying on one another. And the swamp benders themselves being, I think, a, a really integral part of that in a way that we don't see a lot of other benders be. The fact that the swamp benders are bending the plants and acting, trying to act as guardians, I think, is an element that is not something I've, I've always thought about. But when I think about the swamp as kind of what it's standing for, and particularly through this quote, I feel like it's actually really well done. Yeah, they're one of the few people who seem to not just think of things to bend in the environment as tools to use, Mm -hmm. but actually learned from plant life. And I mean, I think some of those ideas come back later in Legend of Korra with the spirit vines Mm -hmm. and the connection and being able to find where people are or what's happening at different places through that. And yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't even know if it's a more mystical look at life, like this idea of people never really being gone. Because at the end of the day, people are made up of matter Mm -hmm. and it doesn't just disappear. Yeah. We're all just space dust. (laughs) Well, why don't we get into our analysis proper? What character did you bring today? So I wanted to talk about Iroh. Hmm. He's a very interesting character because 
we meet him as this wise and quirky tea and music loving uncle that annoys Zuko and it's not until past halfway through season two that we find out that he lost his son Luten and then when we find that out he must have had a, a wife who died earlier too I mean obviously I would say it wouldn't have to have been a wife, but it's a part of a monarchy, so let's be real. Mm -hmm. And we we never get any background information on that. And we get just in that one episode, or maybe a couple episodes, we, we find out more about the loss of his son and how it really put Iroh on a different trajectory than he was on before. Because him falling apart after the death of Luten and then him abandoning the siege of Ba Sing Se led to him not becoming the Fire Lord when Ozai usurped him. And him not being the Fire Lord led him to not have those responsibilities and more time and space to explore things like other types of bending and perspectives which probably aided in him joining the white lotus so yeah i think through him not being the fire lord he was able to change his thinking in a lot of ways because prior to luten dying he was attacking bossing say to take it mm-hmm. So I think his character kind of, not not to be like, oh, well, everything happens for a reason or anything like that, because that's hogwash. (laughs) Poppycock. Careful, you're going to get that explicit tag. (laughs) Exactly. I think that his character went on a journey, and, and we don't really see a lot of that journey, but we know that it happened from losing important people and things to then like voluntarily giving things up so he left home and everyone sure he was in the fire lord but that's where his home was that's where Mm -hmm. family was that's where friends would have been and everything and he left it all to be the guardian of zuko when when zuko also lost everything and he became a fugitive and had to live in poverty on the road for months. He then, at the end of season two, gave up his freedom to try to protect Aang mm-hmm. when Azula was attacking, well, Azula and Zuko. So yeah, just I think it's he's a really interesting character because there's there's so much that I want to know more about in the process of those different things happening. Um, and we only get little snippets, but I think his, his attitude towards things probably changed a lot over the course of, of his life. Yeah, it makes me wonder when he first found out about the White Lotus and when he got involved and mm-hmm. how much of that was something that he was interested in or engaged in before he lost Luten and his generalship and his title and everything else. Was that the life-changing factor for him, or was he already on a path that was kind of more in that direction? He couldn't have been a member of the White Lotus and then be attacking other members of the White Lotus. I don't think that that would I mean, be okay. You'd with like the to philosophy think, but of the organization. 
I, yeah, I don't know, honestly. I, I think that that makes sense, but also he seems like he's so high up in the organization. Is that something that he could have gained in the few years between him losing his title and Zuko being banished? You know, maybe, but I, I just don't know. Uh, so yeah, yeah, there's so many questions about him, but but certainly it's clear that his loss of his son was extremely affecting, and it's why that tale of Bossing Say mm-hmm. is so powerful and I love it because it shows how he is dealing with his loss but in so doing he is still compassionate to others throughout the day he is helping the people who he comes across even the person who's trying to mug him as he's doing this really solemn occasion it's uh yeah I just think really telling of of his character and and I wonder even what that grieving process was like is that how he responded automatically or did he he really have to go through a, a long healing process to get there Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does really make me wonder if Luten dying was the significant turning point, or maybe it was him dying on top of his wife having died before. Yeah, yeah. If those things hadn't happened, what would his life has been like? What kind of fire lord would he have been? Yeah. Would he have stopped the war or just continued it, even if a bit less brutally than Ozai did? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, we know that he didn't kill the last two dragons like he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how differently would he have done things? Would his son have done things? Yeah, very interesting. A good character to, for this this theme. Yeah, but what what is your plot point? I wanted to talk about how the show makes explicit the parallels between Aang and Zuko through highlighting their loss. And this is in the episode The Storm in particular, but I think mm-hmm. it kind of continues through. And, and their journeys, I think, are so interesting to see in relation to one another because they have some similar experiences, but their paths diverge in such important ways. We see that how both of them lost their, their lives as they knew it, mm-hmm. you know, prior to the series starting, where Aang not only slept for a hundred years in an iceberg, but in that time, his people had genocide committed against them. Mm-hmm. Zuko lost essentially his family, his rank, his position in society with only Iroh coming along with him. And what they chose to do with that loss, I think, is is really important into who their characters are. Where Aang, as much as he struggled at times, he also did what he could to try to rise to the responsibility that was placed upon him. And Zuko, in a way, was trying to do the same thing. He was trying to rise to the responsibility that his father placed on him, but it was for a more selfish reason. Yeah, it was more to regain his honor rather than help because this the is world. What's important. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, again, they're, they're kind of doing similar things. They have this task placed for on them, but the reason they take up that challenge is markedly different. Mm-hmm. I think that the other really interesting parallel is how both of them do ultimately grow because of the people they surround themselves with after that loss. Aang gets Katara and Sokka and eventually Toph. And they are people who I think, and Katara in particular, frankly, who do help him, I think, stay committed to that path and stay strong and stay on it in a way that 12-year-old Aang might not have done. He would have spent all of his time looking for Koi to ride and things like that. So 
Aang having those friends uh, that he makes so quickly after that loss is is really important to him. And then, of course, Rizuko having Iroh and being able to have someone who he can rely on and who will also challenge him in the ways that he needs to be challenged. Which he probably never would have had Iroh's perspectives like seep into his mind as much if he hadn't been exiled. Totally. I'm sure he would have interacted with him at the palace and whatnot and maybe turned to him sometimes when his dad was being a jerk to him, mm-hmm. but it, it wouldn't have been the same. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just, I think that, that the loss that both of them faced while, be, you know, they are dramatically different in extremity were still very affecting to them and kind of placed them on similar paths. And I think that the Aang and Zuko parallels are so compelling to me and such an important part of the series particularly once you watch it in whole I don't know if the first time I watched or the first couple times I watched it I really picked up on how the storm was kind of putting forth this narrative trajectory as you like to say their duality their duality exactly (laughs) the duality of these characters um and their connection in that way and uh yeah I just I think it's it's very interesting and and it's another example of how this show does things well because it's not just one response or even two unchanging responses to loss but both of them and Zuko in particular they their paths kind of wind at times and it just shows you know the complications and the nuances that come along with people who lose what is meaningful to them and um, what that means for them. Definitely. Yeah, and it's interesting. I wonder how much their personalities have to do with any of it or how much the losses have affected their personalities Mm. because Aang woke up and then found out about all of this loss. I mean, he he was first frightened of the loss of his community, of Monk Yatso, so that's why he left to begin with. But we meet him 12 hours after that happened in his time. Exactly. And thankfully, he finds friends very quickly. I mean, Sokka took a while. (laughs) (laughs) But at least Katara very quickly after that. Whereas Zuko, I think, loss in his life started... Well, I mean, even Luten, that was his cousin. Mm -hmm. Then his mom. Mm Mm-hmm. And then just a few years later, or yeah, a few years later, he is exiled. And so I think his came more in waves. And when we meet him, he's been suffering through these losses for a very long time. With the constant reminder, like I wonder if part of him being so Mm self-focused in his aims are because he can't really make a home anywhere he can't really make friends anywhere because they won't allow him back until he's accomplished this impossible task and every single day that there's no sight of the avatar there's no sight it's just a reminder of everything he lost and he's failing now yeah whereas Aang definitely does have those reminders at times it's not every time he looks in the mirror It's not every time he looks in the mirror, and even though his mission sure is impossible to, doesn't, you know, save the world, at least there's, like, a clear path 
okay, I need to learn this. I need to learn this other thing. Yeah. And I have friends that are coming with me and helping me, you know. I have these extra powers. <laughs> Whereas Zuko, even when he was a kid, it was so obvious how much less advanced his skills were than Azula's. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure it would feel like he is completely not equipped to try to regain some sense of home or honor that he had lost. Totally. And so, yeah, I kind of wonder if that has contributed to him being so, like, standoffish and sullen about everything. And then be like, come on, Zuko, get in the group hug, you know? <laughs> and Aang being so much more open and, and friendly and willing to make connections with anyone. Yeah. Which actually kind of leads me to my question for you. Bring it on. <laughs> which is... How do you see loss affecting characters' relationships with each other? Hmm. Well, yeah, on this train, I see Katara having her loss impact relationship with Zuko. You know, it's part of a complicated number of emotions and responses because she was compassionate to him in the caves. Mm -hmm. And it was his betrayal there that also <laughs> yeah. led to her not trusting him she felt a connection and then it was quickly severed exactly snuffed out even <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but clearly from the episode where they go to find her mother's killer mm -hmm. she still thinks of zuko in terms of her loss mm -hmm. um as He's part of the fire nation exactly mm -hmm. but also they are brought together through their loss he also lost his mother to the Fire Nation. Mm -hmm. They are able to understand one another's thirst for vengeance in a way that Aang doesn't. Not only for his personal reasons, but also because of Aang's philosophy and idealism, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, their relationship actually is interesting in that way because they both have lost so much. But that could tie them together or tear them apart. Yeah. Yeah, I also think it affected her relationship with Sokka mm. because in the episode where they're doing all those cons and she and Toph were fighting and then Sokka when he's talking with Toph about it was saying yeah Katara's helped take care of me and I don't really remember my mom anymore like when I think of that I think of Katara and so clearly their relationship and their dynamics have changed a lot because of the loss of their mom and dad, you know, that both of them were gone. Yeah. And then, you know, patriarchy taking over, and so she has to take the responsibility to help do everything, and he... Let's her. Yeah, he lets her, and he trains these <laughs> children to, to not effectively be able to... I mean, I guess maybe help build some of that little fort that mm -hmm. gets dilapidated in one moment. Yeah. But, yeah. I also think that it's probably one of the reasons why Mako and Bolin are so close. Mm-hmm. Because they're such distinct personalities from each other. Totally. Um, that, you know, I think many siblings wouldn't necessarily hate each other, but wouldn't be that close. But having had to rely on one another so much made it so that they their lives are so intertwined by the time we meet them yeah and funnily enough i think that asami's loss of her father mm. is kind of what 
solidifies her position within Team Avatar. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, you know, Korra up to that point didn't really like her, although a lot of that obviously had to do with jealousy over Mako and stuff. But her experiencing that loss and her choosing in that moment to do what was right rather than to just side with her father is what made it so that her her presence in the show and on the team wasn't really questioned again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone else you were thinking of? Yeah, I was also thinking about Lin Beifong mm. and losing her sister when she just left and then her mom she soon retired after that and we don't know exactly when she went around and just decided to leave her public city and hang out in the swamp but then obviously Tenzin dumped her so I kind of wonder if that's part of why she doesn't seem to want to get close to anyone doesn't seem to want to be vulnerable with anyone and doesn't even want to make amends with Suyin for quite a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, not not trusting her people in general. I was also kind of thinking about Korra and her losing her ability to bend mm. for those three years. That kind of led her to distance herself from everyone except Asami. It brought her closer to to her and and i think that that definitely can happen when something tragic happens or there's loss of ability or illness or different things i think sometimes those things can put a bit of distance between you and certain people that you just can't it's not even relate to anymore because could she really relate to them that much before but just people that it's harder to talk to or you don't know how to talk to them anymore because they might not react in ways that would be helpful for you and so then you find the few people that are more helpful you know for Bolin everything's a joke and when you are suffering through that kind of trauma it might be hard to have everything be a joke or have him try to make everything a joke or feel like yourself, you yourself have to go along with jokes that maybe you're you're not ready for or mm-hmm. wanting to do. Or even if it's not everything's a joke, he's just he is so optimistic yeah. that it's like, no, don't tell me that I'm gonna get my bending back, or don't tell me these things. You know, it could just totally. be frustrating. Or even just somebody who's upbeat could be frustrating in that circumstance. And then Mako <laughs> just might bring you down farther. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> or try to like help too much and you're just like, Mako, stop. Stop trying to fix this. <laughs> I know. Yeah, totally. Oh, or like stop acting uncomfortable. Like <laughs> just chill. <laughs> and, and Tenzin would definitely try to help. Yes. And in the mental role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should meditate more. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. What about you? What is your question for me? Well, we've got a lot of examples, but I was wondering who you see in Avatar react to losses in a way that's compassionate versus those who react in a way that is more dark or with hatred or bitterness. Mm. (laughs) I mean, Azula definitely doesn't react in a healthy way. (laughs) A very good example, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she, she did feel a loss, whether... I mean, it was a combination of a loss of of confidence in her own 
abilities or at least perception Mm -hmm. um a loss of status in terms of being able to be defeated by tylee and a loss of two people she considered her friends even though she doesn't exactly understand what friendship is it seems yeah but i mean we can't forget that she also lost her mom Mm -hmm. that she lost her grandfather that seemed to praise her and and she and at a very young age knew that her father might have killed her brother and her mother Mm might have killed her grandfather like right to understand those kinds of things at that young age are going to have an impact on you Mm -hmm. and then even though she didn't like nor get along with Zuko well she did still lose him and her uncle yeah uh an even younger age than his he was 13 so what she was 11 yeah 12 so yeah I think her reaction to like so maybe it was she doesn't trust her family but these two friends who had been around for so long maybe she did trust them to some degree and so then when that was lost um yeah she just she couldn't trust anyone yeah it's one of the reasons why i like the episode the beach so much because you see azula focused on relationships Mm. you know it's not about fighting or having power or these other kinds of political ambitions it is about what her relationships with Zuko and Mai and Tai Lee are like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. her finally showing a tiny bit of vulnerability yeah yeah great example yeah I think Aang when he loses Appa mm-hmm. definitely does not react in a great way yeah understandably so considering everything else he had lost and that was the only thing prior to all of his people being genocided to uh, the only relationship to remain yeah i mean he doesn't kill anyone but he could have maybe that one insect thing Mm -hmm. and then yeah he destroyed several of their sand ship thingies and went into the avatar state which that seems to be a thing right when he found out about the genocide he went into the avatar state when appa was taken and he found the people who did it and also when that earth kingdom (laughs) general was trying to get him to go into the avatar state and took katara so yeah i think if he wasn't an avatar, if he didn't have Rafa in him, I think maybe his reactions sometimes would be a bit different. Yeah. But with Rafa, I think it <laughs> so quickly goes quite destructive. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what were you thinking about? I was thinking about Iroh as an example of, I think, a compassionate loss. Mm-hmm. Someone who builds compassion and empathy due to his loss. Well, no, it's a question even is one of the reasons that he stopped the siege. Was it completely that he just kind of fell apart in the grief? Or was part of it, I don't want us to kill anyone. Yeah. I don't want... the other side, that they're they're losing people as well. Yeah. I don't want more deaths. Every soldier who dies is someone's son. Mm Mm-hmm. Or daughter. Or daughter. Or person. That's true. Child. I apologize. (laughs) I was also thinking of Katara... Though her kind of emotional reaction is anger, ultimately she feels pity for 
her mother's killer mm-hmm. and chooses not to kill him, even though she has more than enough power to do so. Yeah. And for so long, she didn't seem to react. She wasn't taking it out on anyone else. It was yeah. it was clearly important to her, you know, mm-hmm. the touching her necklace meme and things like that. <laughs> well, and when her dad comes back and she's, like, angry with him mm. for a while. But, like, it was more cold-shouldered type of anger, not saying terrible things <laughs> yeah. or throwing icicles at him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But yeah, I think we, we covered almost all the other ones I was thinking throughout our conversation today. Mm. Cool. Well, should we move on to the missed opportunities? We should. What is yours? So mine is slightly dark. It's just that none of the main or even supporting characters die or even, you know, lose certain abilities or limbs or, you know, anything, even though these huge battles are going on with very dangerous elements um you heard it here folks no Brittany wants your favorite character to have died or been maimed i never said favorites i'm not saying it's what my heart wants <laughs> but i think when it comes to loss i think even if it's not a death like what if Korra couldn't bring bending back to the people that Amon took it from? Yeah. Imagine what Beifang's character arc would have been like then. Or even, you know, at a bare minimum, maybe she couldn't bring it back until like partway into the next season. Um, maybe when she had learned something more from Unalak. Unalak. That she then applied, but it was tied to the spirits or something. Yeah, Yeah. and so that there was actual toll, and there was consequences and adjustments that have to happen because I think that that is one of the biggest things with loss is this period of adjustment, and and maybe for some people and some things that period lasts for the rest of of their life. Yeah, but yeah, I think that that can really make things more powerful and take the stake seriously and i you know i really thought that janora should have been kind of absorbed into rava Mm. I i thought that that's where they were heading and then when that didn't happen you know and and it wasn't that she like no longer had a human body and 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 she was gone in a sense but like it's still a kid's show so she's not completely gone but you know she couldn't be a part of that family in the same way she i mean she, she wouldn't even die in the same way and then that there would be another part that would continue on and with the avatars that was reborn you know yeah i just think that those things can be really powerful even if they're they're painful and sad sometimes that should happen i mean i guess jet is the closest we come to that um, which is hilarious because in the show themselves they we, joke they about confirm. whether he died or not yeah how it was very unclear yeah and that's why it's like i get kids show yeah. don't want to upset the children but like with something like people not getting their abilities back and now you have to learn how to operate differently in the world so yeah that's that's my miss those are my, my last opportunities that's interesting because mine is kind of in the same vein where I look at I think the biggest permanent loss in the series and I think they didn't do enough with it and that's Korra's loss of her connection with her past lives 
Oh, I mean, I forgot I wanted that to be my missed opportunity. <laughs> and then when I wrote down little notes, I forgot. But I'll let you talk, and then I will complain. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the intensity of that loss is never really made clear or really made mm-hmm. explicit in the show. It's something that that sometimes I would forget even happened because it's so rarely a part of the major narrative points afterwards. And yeah, it just kind of makes it feel like it's like this was an excuse to not have her talk with Aang. Exactly. That's totally what I felt like. Yeah. And I, I, I can understand the kind of meta reasons why they might want to do that. But at the same time, I think that it makes it so that narratively I am wishing that there was, yeah, greater engagement with what it means for someone whose identity and powers are all so tied up in a thousand generations or whatever of existence to lose all of that connection and all of that experience and those memories. And it could be on an individual level, but it could also be, I think, more of a metaphysical level where can she be in balance when she has lost past lives of people who have lived other experiences? Yeah, they just don't do enough with that. What is your rant? Well, (laughs) yes. First of all, it angers me that they even did it to begin with. It angers you? It angers me, yes. About to go into the Avatar state right now. Because (laughs) I love history. You love history. Like, to lose all of that is just, like, the only library in the world burning down. You know, like, that's, like, the feeling. I'm like, no. It's just tragic. And just so rude and inexcusable that it did to begin with especially without it there being really any good explanation of why if rava is still around it doesn't make sense why that that connection will be lost why can she still bend multiple things instead of having to go to the lion turtles and like learn that again you know it 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 just didn't follow through but if they were gonna do that yeah like you were saying It could have been really interesting that she felt a loss that she, of something that she didn't even know was there. That she was born with this, it was always there, and she didn't even know that part of herself was Rava, was these memories, was this line of of people who've come before her. Which, yeah, could have been really interesting, particularly for someone like Korra, uh, that you wouldn't expect it from as much. And also, if they really just didn't want to have Aang keep popping back in to give advice, we all know that Korra isn't amazing with communing with the spirits, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Meditation's not her thing, <laughs> you know? It, it's not a hard thing to be like, yeah. this doesn't happen very often. So, yes. <laughs> Thanks for stealing my missed opportunity. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm just agree- agreeing emphatically. <laughs> Well, why don't you share what your takeaway is then? I think my takeaway is that something that the show does well, even if it's done kind of subtly, is showing how experiencing and dealing with loss, it it can be handled really differently depending on if you have 
strong support evidenced in Azula versus a lot of the other characters who lose different people but still have people that they can rely on, still have people who can be there for them and support them and, and comfort them and give them other things about life that they enjoy and embrace and make things worth it. Yeah, I, I think that it does show that having people does make a huge difference. I mean, that the first time and goes into the Avatar state when he finds out about the genocide, the thing that brings him back down is Katara saying, we're here for you, we're mm. your family now. Yeah, I think that that's really important and powerful. Yeah, totally. What's your takeaway? I think it's kind of brought to mind one of the reasons why I'm excited about the Avatar Studios announcement. Mm. Because as I think we've shown, so much of these characters' journeys and stories are about them dealing with loss. And... One thing that's always been kind of almost even subconscious whenever I think about the comics is that the comics can't have real serious loss in, I think, a, an intense way. Or not that they can't, but I doubt that they will. I doubt that, you know, let's, we know a lot of what, about what happens in Avatar because we've seen Korra, but talking about the comics that take place after Korra, they're probably not just going to kill off Bolin. Yeah. And find out what that's going to be like afterwards. And maybe, they, they, you know, if they're making kids shows, they probably wouldn't in a mm -hmm. show either, but I think they can deal with those kinds of real significant issues in a way that there might be hesitation to do in the comic book form because they don't want a listicle being like, look at how they ruined Avatar in the comics or, or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I, I think that I'm, I'm hopeful that these new stories they're going to tell aren't just new exciting adventures in the Avatar world, but really deeply based in character development and growth and journeys that are interesting, even when that brings in hardships they have to suffer through. Mm -hmm. Totally. Now I'm just thinking about Ko, the face stealer. Why? I never want to think about Ko, the face stealer. <laughs> Not that we'll get into it, but Ko would be a very interesting character or even metaphor idea about loss. Yeah, there's clearly a lot to explore there. As frightening as it sounds. <laughs> but why don't you bring up what we'll be talking about next week? So we are going to be returning to Harry Potter, and we are going to be looking at the series through the theme of responsibility. That's exciting. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website and our social media in the episode description, or you can join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines to become a supporter of the podcast. We'd like to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.